Well, a couple weeks ago, we started a new series. You didn't know we started a new series. I didn't know we started a new series. It was called, we were calling it Advance. We had been in uh, prayer and fasting, and then we started talking a little bit about change, and I knew that we were going to continue in that direction. Uh, so we decided to kind of back it up. And so the last two weeks, Pastor John came as well, and he spoke on it. And we're going to continue talking about this idea of advancing or growing or changing. Now, I want to, I want to give you a little preface this morning because everybody's at a different place today. You know, you, you may be in here right now, and you're thinking, I am tired. I am wore out. I've got barely, you know, one nostril above water, and I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to breathe. And the last thing I want to think about is growing or changing or doing one more thing because my plate is so full. And if that's you, I want you to know I've been where you're at, and I have, I have actually turned off podcasts, turned off books. I'm like, you know, I'm going to come back to that when I'm in the mood to grow, but right now I'm not in the mood to grow. So I understand that. There, there are times where we are like that. And so there's people that they're in that position. Then there's people that are just complacent and they don't care whether they grow or whether they decline. It doesn't make them any different. They're just complacent and they don't ever think about it. And then there are people that they're ready to grow. And God's been speaking to them, and they're in a good place, and they're hungry, and they, they want to do more for God. They want to do more for their family. They want to make an impact. And I understand we have all types of people here this morning. And so I'll just speak to the first group. If, you're, if that's you and you're tired and you go, I really don't want to hear about anything else I have to do today, then that's between you and God. And maybe you do need to just sit and relax this morning and just enjoy the Word of God and come back and listen to this sermon later. But... If you're complacent or if you say, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do something for God. I'm ready to improve. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to advance in the things of God. I've been stagnant and I'm ready to go to another place. If that's you, then I believe that's what this series is for. And that's what it's about. Now, we don't advance or grow in the Lord in order to earn salvation. That's not the point of it. Right? We've already received salvation by His grace and through faith. But we grow and we, con- we continue to grow and get better for a lot of reasons. But the main reason is that our, so that our impact and our influence can expand on this very, very, very short time that we're here on this planet. And there's a lot of people that their lives are going to barely make a drip. Just a, it's just like a drop of water in a pond, just a, a little drip with some ripples. And then there's others that's going to make a big splash because they chose to go all in for God, and they chose to be used by God. They chose to continually grow and change and advance. And what I want you to know is God can use anybody, okay? It doesn't require special skills. You know, recently we were signing up people for the media team, and I saw Brandon put it at the bottom. He said, no experience necessary. Uh, you know, and I've thought about putting, well, you know, experience preferred, but not necessary. But with God, same way. No experience necessary. No special skills needed. If you got special skills, he can use them. But really, God could take anybody and did so many times in the Bible. Somebody that just seemed like everybody else had discounted, but they would go all in for God and he could use them for the kingdom. There's a lot of us like that in here, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that you might look at your life and go, I don't have much to to offer. Yeah, but God can use somebody with the right heart that has nothing to offer 
10 times over somebody who has tons to offer and doesn't have the right heart. So you just have to have that heart of, look, I don't care what I do, big, small, okay, one life, a thousand lives, doesn't matter. I just want to be used by God, and I want to be in a position where God can use me. And this is the, this is the issue where a lot of people come, and, and they get tripped up, is they say, well, I want to be used by God. Well, I always say, well, make yourself useful, and I promise you God will use you. But so many times we're saying, God, I, I want to be used by, used by God. I want to do something for God. Well, what you see in the Scripture is there's a process yes. that God puts his people through of change, growth, and sharpening so that they can be used by God. Just about every time you see somebody called in Scripture, I mean, think about David, Moses, Paul, Joseph, every one of them, they received a call early in their life. Then there was about a 14 to 15, for Moses, 40-year period of shaping, chiseling, right? Getting them to the place where they could grow and they could be used by God. You and me are in that place right now. We're in that place of being chiseled and shaped and grow for God. And even for Paul, even at the end of his life, he was still focused on growing and advancing and being sharpened for God. So it never ends. It never ends. And so if you're in that place of being tired and you don't want to grow, that's okay to be in that place, but you, you got to come out of it too. You can stay there a little while, but you got to come out of it too because you're going to be growing, developing, advancing for the rest of your life. And the moment you stop growing and the moment you stop advancing, your usefulness for God becomes limited. You're not limited by your ability or skill. You're limited by your willingness to surrender to the process. And actually, that's the title of my sermon this morning is Surrender, because this is a big part of advancing. Now, we started talking the first week about exactly what is it that motivates people to change. The first thing we talked about is circumstances. In other words, you get put in a circumstance where you have no choice but to change. You either change or drown. So the circumstances for, th- think, you know, having kids. You, you have kids, you got to grow, you got to change, you got to you got to you know, be, become a different person, a better person, when you have children, you're forced to change by your circumstances. The next thing that causes people to change is pain. This usually follows if people don't change by their circumstances, then eventually they begin to reap the consequences and the pain of it forces them to change. The pain of their decisions, the pain of their habits, their pain, the pain of their stubbornness begins to set in, and so they're forced out of that pain. We, some people call it hitting rock bottom. Maybe some of you've been there. I don't know. You hit rock bottom, and then you, maybe you've had people in your life that you're like, well, they'll hit rock bottom eventually. And what do you mean when you say that? Well, you mean eventually the pain is going to get to such a point that they have no choice but to change. How many know it's a lot better to change way before we get to that point? A lot better to change before we get to rock bottom. And my goodness, if that's what it takes for us to change, I mean, there's a lot of other things that can motivate us to change. And that brings us to the third thing. Another thing that can motivate you to change is love and devotion. Love for God, love for a person, love for your spouse, love for your kids, even love for yourself as somebody that God's created, right? Somebody that has a call on their life. Yeah, love. That's a much better reason to change. How many of you that have children, you like to see your kids change for the right reasons? Not just because you threatened them. 
Not because you just you threaten to punish them or you threaten to take something from them. I like to see my kids change because they finally got it. They got it. They saw it. Not just because I threatened them. You know, that comes, that's like a last resort. Look, I'm trying to help you get it. If you don't get it, then we're going to go to this. But I'd rather you get it on your own. It's the same way with God. Now, here's what I know about people, that most people really love the idea of growth, the, the concept of growing as a person. That's why you're here this morning, I think is to grow in the Lord, right? Grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You're listening to a sermon because you want to you grow. People in general love the idea of growth, becoming better. We want to grow in our knowledge, grow in our wisdom, grow in our finances, grow in our influence. We love the idea of growth, but we don't love the process of growth. We love the idea. I mean, who in here doesn't love the idea? But the process? I mean, how many people have ever set out don't raise your hand, but I know I got. I really had to start honing in on that one. But how many of you have set out to grow in a particular area, and then you encountered the process of growth, and you're like, hmm, "That ain't worth it. <laughs> that ain't worth it. I'm gonna do something else." Yeah, because the idea of growth is a lot of fun. The process of growth is not. the The process of growth it challenges you. It brings out things in you. It brings out character flaws. It brings out laziness. It brings out selfishness. It brings out bad habits. As you begin to, to grow, you're confronted with these things. And so the process of growth is not very fun. To, to prove the point, think about the, the new year. I mean, how many people set resolutions for what? To grow, get better, advance, cha- make changes. How many people stick to those resolutions? Well, the statistics speak for themselves. It's not very many. Why? Because the idea of growth is wonderful. The process of growth is difficult. And the reason we're talking about this morning is because I know there are a lot of you that want to grow and you want to advance for God. I talk to you. I mean, as a pastor, I talk to people all the time that tell me, man, I want to do something more for God. I want to... And what they're saying is, I want to grow so that I can be used by God. Well, I want to talk to you about this one element that is required for growth in God's kingdom. Okay, this is, this is specifically for growth in God's kingdom. And it's this idea of surrender. Of being completely surrendered to God. And what that means and what that looks like. I want to give you a little picture this morning. We have on my... Where we live, we have goats and sheep. Uh, we have some acreage, and we've got several lambs uh, and sheep and goats and things. And these sheep that we have in particular are what I would call wildish. Okay, they're not wild. They're definitely not tame. They will come to you if you have a feed bucket, but you cannot touch them. They are very quick, and they will come within just a couple inches. But the, they, you're, they just—they don't want to be touched. But there's lots of things you need to do for them for their own good. They have to be vaccinated. They have to be wormed. Their hooves have to be trimmed, right? There's lots of maintenance things that have to be done, so you have to get close to them. And so that happens in a variety of ways. We have multiple strategies that we use, and I'm just going to say I'm glad there's no cameras around when we're doing this because y'all would see me in a whole different, whole different light. Uh, I'm just glad my, there may be some footage. I'm, I'm just glad my wife hasn't put it on Instagram or anything like that. But 
you know, chasing down a very fast animal is hard. So my kids usually get involved. And like I said, we have a variety of strategies that we use. But sometimes there comes a point where you've got, and, and some of these sheep are big. This one of them is like 140 pounds. He's, she, she actually, she is, is a big girl. Don't tell her I said that. But, <laughs> but if you get a hold of her, there's a wrestling match of sorts that ensues. And she's strong, and she's big, but I'm doing this for her own good, right? Hooves have to be trimmed, vaccinated, warm, all these things. I'm doing this for your own good, but you're fighting me. You're fighting me. You're kicking. You're, you're, you're scared. You're running. And it's, but out of love for you, I'm pursuing you, and I have a hold of you, but you haven't surrendered yet. And so she's fighting, and then there becomes this moment where I don't really know what sheep brain, you know, we, we like put human thoughts on animals. I don't really know what she's thinking exactly, but I like to think she's thinking, okay, this guy is much bigger than me and stronger than me. She don't know it's just barely, but stronger than me, and so he's got a hold of me, and then finally she just surrenders. And when she surrenders... Then we put her in this little block and, you know, we, and the whole rest of the process is easy. From there, she's totally surrendered the rest of the time. It's not like she gets put in this little, you know, block that we have and she's kicking and fighting the whole time. Like there's a moment of surrender. And from there, I'm able to do everything that I needed to do in her life. But sometimes that process of getting her to surrender is very annoying. And very frustrating. And it reminds me of the, what I see people doing with God. They fight the process. They run from God. They fight. They kick. And then there's this beautiful moment that you see in people's lives sometimes where they finally and completely just surrender to God. And it's not, a, it's not just a mental thing. Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a change that happens in a person's heart. It's a change that happens in a person's life where there's so much trust and there's just this moment of resignation where you go, you know what? I am just tired of me. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hurting myself. I'm tired of hurting other people. I'm, I'm just tired. And there's this surrender that happens where you go, you know what? I have messed up my own life. I don't know what's best for my own life. And I just trust and believe, God, that you do. And so I'm surrendering to your process. I am surrendering to you. And a lot of people have not reached that place. A lot of people have not reached that place of surrender. Some have. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is surrendering your life to God and trusting the process that he has for you. Now, even for a saved person, you might think, okay, surrender is for people that are not saved. No, that's not true. Every, even people that are saved have to regularly surrender new parts of their life. You will, you will as a believer and as a disciple of Christ, you'll regularly run into areas of your life that are not surrendered to God. And you won't even have known they were there sometimes. You're like, man, I've been living this way for 10 years. I never knew God cared about this. That's because he was dealing with another area of your life. And until you got that one right, there was no point of bringing this one up. If God showed you every single thing in your life that he needed to deal with and every single thing in your life that you needed to change, it'd probably overwhelm you. 
There's a little bit at a time that he wants to deal with. So from time to time, as you are a disciple of Christ and you're walking with Christ, there's a new area of your life that'll get brought up that he goes, hey, I want this to be surrendered. Think about the rich young ruler. You remember him? He comes to Christ. He's got a lot surrendered to God. You know, and, and, and he and he and Jesus have a conversation, and he says, you know, what do I need to be? And he tells him the Ten Commandments. He says, yeah, I'm doing all that. And he says, okay, what about this one thing? And he puts his finger on his wealth, and he says, that, though, that's not surrendered. And, what man, he faced a crossroads. He said, I can't surrender that. I can't give that up. Now, people would sit and... They might look at that and try to figure out, well, was he saved? Was he not saved? You know, all of that. I, that's not really my purpose this morning. Uh, I, I know that we're not saved by giving away all of our finances. That, you know, there's nothing, that doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture that he wasn't saved. But that part of his life was not surrendered. And guess what? His, his usefulness for God was limited by the fact that he wasn't willing to surrender that. If he'd surrendered that part of Actually, Jesus invited him to be a disciple. Maybe there were supposed to be 13 disciples. I don't know. But he invited him to be a disciple. What did he say? He said, sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Well, that's the same invitation he gave to Peter and John and others. He was being invited to be a disciple of Christ. And what did Peter and John have to do? They, they actually said to Jesus, well, what about us? We gave up everything to follow you. Exactly. See, they had, they had surrendered. And so they were used by God. This one apparently was called of God, but he couldn't surrender, and so his usefulness was limited. I don't believe it had anything to do with his salvation, but I think that his call was thwarted because he was not willing to surrender that part of his life to God. And I can't call out every single thing this morning, but I need, we all need to look at our life and go, what area for me to grow and advance and move forward with God needs to be surrendered. What thing have you bumped up against many, many times, again and again, over and over again, and it's never been surrendered to God? How many times have you gone around this mountain again and again and again and again, and you've never gone up because you're not surrendered in that area to God? And this is for all of us. Okay, I'm not like the one up here who has this perfect and I'm like explaining to you. This is for everyone. Every one of us have areas of our life that need to be more surrendered to God. Some of us, it's just starting the process of salvation, surrendering to God for salvation. Some of us, we've been saved for a while, but then we've plateaued and we've never grown past a certain point. Why? Because there's an area that's holding you back and until it's surrendered, you're going to stay there in that place. Now, some of you may not care. Like I said, some are complacent. But if you want to grow and you want to go forward with God, this is going to be part of the process. Look at John chapter 3 with me. John chapter 3, verse 26. This is John the Baptist. This is about John. So John has been used mightily by God. If you know the whole story. John was a forerunner to prepare the way for Christ, to prepare the hearts of men to receive Christ. So he had a big ministry. It was a short ministry, but it was a big, powerful ministry. Everyone was coming to John. Everyone was coming to John long before they even knew who Jesus was. 
Everybody's coming to John. Everyone's getting baptized by John. The Pharisees are coming out to listen to John. Everyone's listening to John's sermons. They're downloading, you know, his podcast. They're watching him on YouTube. You know, every, John's just blowing up. John chapter 3, verse 26. And they came to John. This is his disciples, those that were helping him, those that were following him. They came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So there's, been a, there's, a, there's a change that's happening. John was the big, the big deal in town. You know, he was the one with a million plus YouTube views. Now, everyone's leaving him, which this is, this is, fic, this is typical human nature, by the way. This is just how humans work. They, they love this person. Then <laughs> six months later, they hate that guy and they found a new one, right? And they love him. And that's just part of it. They loved John. Now they left John. And he says, everyone who was being baptized by us and was following us, they're leaving us now. And now they're going to follow Jesus. And they're saying this like they think John's going to have a problem with it. Because they're thinking, man, all, all these people that were following us, they're now leaving us to go follow Jesus. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Here's what he's saying. Have you ever been to a wedding? There's the groom and there's the best man. He said, I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. I'm not the one getting married. I'm not the one that this day is about. This celebration is not about me. He said, I'm just here to help the one who the celebration is for. He knew his role. He knew his purpose. I love that illustration. He says, I'm not the groom. He said, I'm just the best man. He said, therefore, this joy, verse 29, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, this is the process. This is what surrender looks like. And oh, it's so much easier to read about. Oh, it's so much easier to read John's story than to do it ourselves. But if you were John and you were in this moment and angels had appeared to prophesy over your birth and over your ministry and who you would be, and all of a sudden that's coming to an end, and, it, and you're on your way out, and all of a sudden everybody's forgetting about John, you're watching the whole thing come to an end, and his mentality, he was focused from the beginning. He said, no, this, was the, this is the end of the whole thing. He said, actually, now my joy is complete. Why? Because I ran my race and I ran my course, and I'm now with joy passing it on to someone else wasn't about me, never was about me. And let me tell you, I've seen many people fail this test. Many people fail this test. I've seen parents fail this test. Parents that their, their role and their job should have been what was best for their kids to help their kids along and help their kids succeed but can't let go because they have their own personal dreams and things that they're holding on to. This happens all the time. So... John said, no. He said, my joy is complete. This is the process. He must increase and I must decrease. This is the 
This is the foundation of the idea of surrender right here. He must increase and I must decrease. What's happening? More of God, less of me. A person who's truly surrendered, more of God, less of me. There's not a person in here that has no me. There's not a person in here that has no self. But a lot of people, it's like, there's parts of me I'm living for God, parts of me I'm living for self. And the more that, that, that balance and that pendulum swings, the more surrendered you become to God and the more useful you can be to God and the more advancement and the more growth you can experience in your life. But I want to challenge you this morning with this phrase, he must increase and I must decrease. Listen, that's, that's where every one of us are at. We're at. Every one of us are at that crossroads in our life right now. There are areas in my life, in your life, where God needs to increase and self needs to decrease. And without that, that without surrendering to that, we're never going to see the growth in God's kingdom that we're looking for. He must increase and I must decrease. Believe it or not, and Jesus tried to explain this to us many times, this is actually what advancement looks like in the kingdom of God. See, it, it's backwards. He, Jesus tried to explain this multiple times. The way forward, or excuse me, the way up is down. This is what he was... He, John knew this. This is why John's ministry was so successful. He, this is why Jesus looked at John at the end of his ministry and said, there's never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Never. Because he understood this and he got this. But... Jesus tried to explain this. Advancement. See, we're talking about advancing. If you want to advance in the kingdom of God, he says the way up is actually down. And I can't tell you as a pastor, I have witnessed this done correctly and I've witnessed this done incorrectly. I can say I've done it correctly and done it incorrectly in my own life. Where you want to get somewhere and so we go and we work and we self-promote and we do. And it's like God is looking at it going... You, you are going about this the totally wrong way. See, trying to get, get something or get somewhere, trying to increase, we go about it in our own way. But this is the process of surrendering to God's way, is this mentality of he must increase, I must decrease. Now I want you to apply this to specific areas of your life. Not just as a general principle. I want you to think about specific areas of your life Let's start with something that everybody needs to do. Your prayer, your Bible reading. He must increase, I must decrease. What does that look like for your prayer life? Well, what I would like to do and what my wishes and my plans are might be to spend that time another way like sleeping or watching entertainment or doing something else. But if I'm going to go forward with God, he must increase time with him. Time with his spirit, time with his word must increase. And I, my wants, my desires, my selfishness must decrease. And you can apply that to every area of your life. What? Look at any area of your life and go, how does God need to increase in this area? And I, selfishness, flesh needs to decrease in this area. And that is the process of surrender. And man, people, we, we hate this. We don't like it. So we will make deals with God. Well, God, tell you what. If you'll do this, this, and this, I will, I'll give this up for you. Hey, God doesn't make deals. 
That, that's, not what surrend- that, that's not surrender. That'd be like me with that sheep and that little sheep. Look up, look. Hey, listen, if, if you'll do this. No, listen, you're doing what I want you to do without any deals. That is the deal. All that's needed here is your surrender. That's what true surrender is anyway. A, tr- a heart that's truly surrendered is not making deals with God. Okay, no deals. It's what's called an unconditional surrender. There are no terms. You ever seen the two generals come out on the battlefield and they talk about the conditions of surrender? No conditions of surrender with God. It's a complete and unconditional surrender. But, but what you get in return cannot be calculated. Please, please understand. It cannot be calculated what you get in return. When you surrender to God. We're going to see this in just a moment. We're going to keep going through the scriptures on this. Okay. So what is this process? What is the process of surrender? Well, it's very simple. It's a process that kills you, but magnifies and increases God. That's really what the surrender is when we're talking about this kingdom principle. It's a process that kills you, but it magnifies God. Let me show you. Matthew 16, 21 From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be, ra- be raised. So, so Jesus, again, he knew his purpose. He knew his reason for existence. He was 100% surrendered to God. His life was not about him. His desires didn't matter. It was, what does God want? He even said multiple times, I don't do anything unless I first see God do it. What do you mean? In the spirit. I don't do anything unless I first see God do it. I don't say anything unless I first hear God say it. Why? Because he did not look at his life as, my, as his own. This is how a lot of Christians look at their life. It's my life, and God's going to use me, and I'm going to give God part of my life. I'm going I'm to give God, and he's going to... That's not how Jesus and John and these guys looked at their life. This is how they looked at it. This is not my life. It's your life. That's why we call him master, Lord. This what, it, what we're saying is my life is not my own. I don't own my life. I'm not in charge. I gave that up. I surrendered that. I don't live where I want to live, work where I want to work, marry who I want to marry, do what I want to do. Why? Because that's what I would do if I were in charge. But I'm not in charge. God is in charge. That's what surrender looks like. Now, none of us have this perfectly, but this is what a life of surrender looks like. A life that their only existence and only purpose is to live and complete and fulfill the master's will and call for your life. So, Jesus knew that. He began to share it with the disciples. He said... You know, he began to tell them that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. And they're hearing this and they're going, no, why? Because it's not what they wanted. They didn't want that. They were following Jesus. They'd given up everything for Jesus in hopes that he would be their understanding of the Messiah, which was a king type figure. So Peter's hearing this. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. I hope none of you are that arrogant. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. See, he'd gotten real comfortable with Jesus. He'd put Jesus on his level. He said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He was so out of tune. He didn't know, Peter, this is the only reason I came to the planet. I wouldn't be here except to fulfill this. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How many of you know that's a big problem today still? So many people, they're not spiritually minded. They're Christians in label. Their mind is not on the things of God. Their mind is not on accomplishing the will of God. Their mind is not on the kingdom of God. Their mind is on the things of man. There are so many Christians that their aspirations and their dreams, they don't look very much different than the culture at large of people who aren't even saved. We want the same things that they want. Money, retirement, success. How many know the kingdom's different? The kingdom is different. We're not supposed to be pursuing the same things that the culture pursues just blindly, okay? And there's so many issues to talk about when you describe these things because God's not against you having money. God's not against you being successful, etc. But let me tell you, God's not really for any of that in your life. He's for you doing your plan, His plan and call and purpose and will for your life. Many times doing that will lead to your success and your blessing and your happiness. But I'm going to tell you, every person that signs up to do the will of God doesn't end up just doing exactly what their little heart desired. There are a lot of people that are on the mission field today and thank God they are sharing the gospel. And other. That's probably not what they would prefer to do. I can tell you, you know, I was born and raised here in, in uh, central Louisiana. I left here and went other places in the world, places that are a lot more pretty, a lot better weather, a few less mosquitoes that I thought about, man, I could see myself doing ministry here. But that was never a factor because I didn't ever even, it never even entered my mind that I'm going to do ministry where I think is, is right and where it fits with me. The only concern and the only thought is, God, where have you called me? Where are you asking me to be? Because my life is not my own and your life is not your own. But this is a problem with a lot of Christians. He says, Jesus told him, he said, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. You're thinking about this from just strictly a human standpoint. You don't understand that I'm here to die. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose. Is that how you see it? Are you here to die? Is that the purpose of your life? Like John, to decrease so that he can increase? Are you here to be crucified with Christ? As the Bible teaches, I die so that he can live through me. And all I'm saying is that this tends to be in people's life a process. It's not instant. You can see Peter was not totally surrendered to God. That's not the only time 
You see that with Peter. But hey, I'm not pointing fingers. If, if, my life, if, all the, <laughs> if all the things in my life were written down in a book and people were studying it every week, talking about the things Josh said and did, well, it'd be, it'd be ugly. Y'all be making fun of me. Then Jesus told his disciples. So, so this is part of that same conversation. He said, you are a hindrance to me. Boy, that's, ooh, that's a strong... Think about that. He said, I have a purpose and I have a call. And your job is to support me in that. But right now, you're a hindrance to me. Why? Because you're lined up with the things of man. You're not lined up with the things of God. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is one of the biggest revelations in Scripture. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, it's not just the Messiah who is going to die on a cross. He said, every single person who follows me is called to carry their own cross and to be crucified just like I was crucified. Now, the cross is a funny thing to me because in modern day, you know, the cross has become uh, this symbol, and in a lot of ways it should be, but, you know, a lot of people wear the cross around their neck. They put the cross on their wall, maybe pictures, or a lot of churches have crosses everywhere. But, you know, modern day, that'd be like having a little electric chair hanging around your neck, you know? It's a little, it didn't mean then what we look at it now. You know, when the disciples, when he said to, you know, if y'all came in here this morning, I had a big golden electric chair like on the wall, but it might help us. I don't know. It might help us. Like, okay, that's my purpose to die. Got it. But the cross doesn't do that. It, the cross, when we see the cross, we think of mercy. We think of grace, we think of forgiveness, but that, that's not how they were looking at it. When they saw the cross, they saw it as a means of torture and death. So when he said this to them, what he was saying is, is if you're going to come after me, many of them had seen crucifixions with their own eyes because the Romans did it very, very publicly to ingrain it in everyone's mind. If you disobey, this is what you get. So that, that image was very, very scary and powerful for them. He said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his own cross and come after me. In other words, his own, his own way, his own method to die, everyone has it. Every single Christian that comes after me, every single person who follows me and calls me their Lord and Master, he said, each of them are going to have to surrender to their own cross. And you know, it's funny. Because people will say religious, you get all these religious sayings, and so people's having somebody's having a hard time, and they go, "Well, you know, this is just my cross to bear." Half the time, they brought it on themselves from their own disobedience. <laughs> this is my cross. No, <laughs> that's just bad decision making. Probably not a cross. That that's not what he's talking about. Look at verse twenty-five. He continues, "For whoever would." Oh, man, this is, this is so good. Please get this. For whoever would save his life will lose it. How, how many of you think Jesus knew what he was talking about? He's the author of life, created the world, created you. He knows what he's talking about, but this is what he said. Whoever would or whoever wants to preserve and save his life, whoever wants to be fulfilled, all the things you want for life, 
Okay, everything you want out of your life. In other words, the, the person who would have a good life, the person who would preserve their life, save their life, be successful in their life, whoever wants that for his life will have to lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find true life. And I just wonder sometimes if Christians have enough faith to believe this. That the way up is down. This is not some proverb, you know, ancient proverb that we read and people like put on their wall. This is life. This is truth. This is fact. This is reality. The one who created everything is looking at you and he's saying... If you really want true life, I'm telling you the path to get there. It is by surrendering it to me. And this word lose, by the way, it doesn't mean like you can't find it, like you lost your keys. This word actually means to perish or destroy. It's used, it's used dozens of times in the New Testament, and about 75% of the time it means to, to perish or destroy. It's the same word that Peter used when he was sinking in the, uh, the boat. And, he, you know, he's sinking. He says, save us for we are, we are perishing. It's the same word. He's, in other words, he's saying we're, our lives are about to be lost. This is what he means when he says, forever, who, whoever would save his life will have to destroy it. But whoever destroys his life for my sake will find it. So he's talking about death. Not physical death. Death of your will. Death to your purposes. Death to your plans. Death to your ideas for your own life. Death to control of your life. Death to you being in the captain's seat of your life. So he says, if you want to experience true life... The path is different than what you really think it is. The path is actually to give it up for God. To surrender it. But, then he makes this promise, but whoever loses his life for my sake, then they're going to find true life. And I've seen this. I've seen this so many times. I saw this even as a young man. As a teenager. When I began to give my life to the Lord. Everyone around me looks at me like I'm missing out. I have my friends that they're like, man, you're not going to go here. You're not going to do that. You're not going to watch this anymore. You're not going to talk like that. You're not going to do these things that we're doing. They're, in their mind, they're like, man, you're losing. You're losing everything. You used to do these things. You're not doing them anymore. You know, being a Christian is weird. You know, you're not doing it. Look, and in their mind, it looks like you're losing. But I begin to realize, I, even as a teenager, I begin to realize I am happier now than I've ever been in my life. I, am, I have more joy, more peace, more fulfillment. And then, that was just in the beginning. But then as my footsteps begin to be ordered by the Lord, and I found myself in the right place with the right people, marrying the right wife, raising kids, being in the will of God, blessing and joy and all these things that came, I'm like, I... I don't know, you know, if I look at the things, I'm like Paul, if I look at the things that I lost, it, I count it as, he says, dung, because it doesn't even compare to what I've gotten by surrendering my life to God. Through 
surrender and death, you get true life. Now, by holding on to it, what do you get? You get garbage. Right? You, you try to find joy through these you know, different things, entertainments and different things. And we try to find joy through all these other things in our life and living for ourselves and going on vacations and doing. We try to find joy in these places. And what does it do? It leaves us empty. Well, this is what he said. He said, by trying to save your life, by trying to live life to the fullest, by trying to fulfill all your desires, he said, you're actually losing it. You're actually turning up empty. Now, we know this. We've all experienced it. But many will walk out of here and continue living just like it. No change. They'll continue living for self. Why? Because it's quick. It's easy. You get a, you get a short burst of you know, energy and adrenaline from it. You get a short burst of joy and peace when you, you live for yourself and you do that way. He said, but here's what's happening. I, and, I, and I watch this as a pastor. People that live that way and it's a slow decline until they find themselves at the bottom. They're empty. They have no purpose. They have no hope. They don't even understand why they're here on the planet. They're disillusioned. Well, you spent your whole life doing everything you could to make yourself happy. You, you spent money. You spent time. You did everything trying to... You went on all the vacations. You bought the RV. You bought the boat. You bought the house. You did everything to try to... Why are we still ending up empty? He told us, didn't he? Didn't he say... Whoever tries to save his life, he said, you're going to end up losing it. It will leave you empty. I don't know if we believe this or not, even for Christians. Because we, we hear it, then we just go out living the same way like it's, this is normal. No, he said there's another way. It takes faith, though, and it takes surrender to believe that actually by faith, to, in order to find real life and find true life, to find what the Bible calls Zoe life, he said in order to find that, the path is total and complete surrender. Dying to your hopes, your dreams, your purposes, your plans, your ideas, laying them on the altar. We could say nailing them to the cross and crucifying them and saying, you know what? My life is not my own. I surrender my life. Can you imagine doing this to another human? Can you imagine this moment where if you, you went up to another person, sometimes you see this in movies where uh, one person saves another person's life and they go, okay, now my life is indebted to you and, and, I, and I give my, I'll spend the rest of my life in service of you to pay off that debt or whatever. Can you imagine doing that in real life, going up to a, another human and saying, my life is no longer mine. I give it to you for you to, for, to do whatever you say for me to do. For the rest of my life, I am your slave to do whatever you want me to do. Can you imagine actually relinquishing control of your life like that? I don't want to do that to another person. But, I, but God is someone who's worthy doing that of. You know why? Because he cares more about you than you care about your own self. And this is why he says it's through this process that you're going to find true life. You just have to believe me. But many of us are like that sheep. We kick, we fight, we struggle. And what we need to do is just surrender 100% to God. Let me read another passage to you. Galatians 2, 19. Janelle, you can go ahead and come up. Galatians chapter 2, 
See, Paul had entered into this mindset. He said, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. There you see it again, this idea of dying so that you can live. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And, and again, this, this idea that it wasn't just Christ who was crucified. He said, I was crucified with Christ. Now, I didn't have to go through the physical pain that he did. But, but I've, my life and my desires and my hopes and all of that have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He, if he was speaking in third person, he would say, it's no longer Paul who lives. But it's Christ who lives in me. So I'm still on this planet. I still have a body, but my life is not my own. It's not Paul who's living. It's not Paul's hopes, Paul's dreams. It's Christ's through me. I'm just an instrument. I'm just a vessel for whatever he wants to accomplish on this planet. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? 